So if you have your Bibles this morning and want to open to Matthew 21, we're going to look there today. You know, I was researching this week's sermon on Jesus cleansing the temple, and I came across these sermon titles like Spring Cleaning. One person said, ah, the spring has come. That wonderful time of year that the snow is gone, the cold weather is gone, the birds are singing, and the grass is growing. And a few weeks ago, I thought, boy, it sure would be nice to be able to say that here. And yet, as I stand here this morning, the snow is gone, it's warming up, and Easter is coming quickly. You know, unlike Christmas, where our TVs and radios are constantly announcing how many shopping days are left, Easter can kind of sneak up on us, catch us unprepared. And one of the ways we've been preparing for that as a church is we're looking at the final week of Jesus' life, seeing the different encounters he had with different people. And the goal is ultimately for us to know him better, right? To love him deeper, to serve him greater. And so this morning, I want to continue, and I want to look at when he cleansed the temple. In Matthew 21, verse 12. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. Now the parallel passage in Mark makes it clear this happens on Monday, the day after the triumphal entry. In order for us to really understand the significance of his actions, we need to understand how important the temple was in Jesus' day. Right? Quite simply, it was the center. Religiously, politically, culturally, Even economically, it was the center of their life. It was even the center for Israel's salvation. And that was Jesus' concern. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer. As always, Jesus brought people back to the significant, to the important. He got to the heart of it. Because the point is to worship God. Now the source of his quote in verse 13 is significant. It comes from Isaiah 56, verse 7. And Jesus didn't finish the quote, but because he didn't need to. Because those in the earshot, the the leaders, they knew the final three words. For all nations. This temple was to be a place of prayer for all nations. God's desire was that all people be drawn to him. That all people would have an opportunity to respond to him. Now contrast that with the inscription archaeologists discovered on an inner wall. It said this, No foreigner is to enter the barrier surrounding this sanctuary. He who is caught will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. Now now Jesus doesn't challenge the architecture here. But he definitely displays indignation that this place that is designed to allow people to worship God became a marketplace instead. Notice the text says Jesus drove out all who were buying and selling. It wasn't just the merchants that Jesus reacted against. It was those buying as well. It's evidence that Jesus rejected the whole system, the entire business that evolved around the worship. There was an entire enterprise here. Buyers, sellers, money changers, and the priests were overseeing the whole thing. 
And Jesus' indictment is against the whole system. Let's sidetrack the main purpose. God's temple being a house of prayer and worship for all people. So what portrait does this paint of Christ? See, we have this story. Jesus comes to Jerusalem. And he enters the most public place in the city, makes a huge scene in the most public way, visibly rejects the entire social, cultural, religious order. Then he performs a number of healing there on a group of people that were forbidden from entering the temple at all. I mean, so much for gentle Jesus, right? Meek and mild? <laughs> Not really. This story enacts in a highly visible way what so much of Jesus' ministry was really about. Jesus came for sinners. He associated with the poor and the sick and the outcasts. He went to places where there were needs, great needs, and he met them. He rejected all the pursuits that normally characterize the lives of men on earth. Right? Pursuits of wealth and safety and status. Now, I see this as far more than a portrait just of earthly Jesus, but of God himself. I mean, you read throughout the Old Testament with open eyes and you can see again and again God rescues the weak and the helpless. He reaches out to them in compassion. He delivers them. We see this on a spiritual level with each and every one of us. God reaches out to us and our helplessness and rescues us. But not just on merely a spiritual level. It's also a very physical level. Jesus talked about separating the metaphorical sheep from the goats, right? In Matthew 25. And the bottom line was this. The sheep were those who reached out to the poor and the sick and the prisoners. I mean, we read that in the Old Testament again and again. God comes to set us free. Not just in a spiritual sense, but also from the sin that plagues entire societies. That keeps human beings in situations where they're treated worse than animals. So the portrait I see of Christ is that of a social revolutionary. There was a quote from Mother Teresa I read. It said, The dying, the crippled, the mental, the unwanted, the unloved. They are Jesus in disguise. And it gives this picture of Jesus the radical, the one willing to go into the temple and throw the tables around. The portrait of the one who would call people to radical discipleship, complete Sold out, hold nothing back, discipleship. He demonstrates his determination, his willingness to upset things <laughs> in a literal way. Things that are wrong. Things that miss the point, that have lost the purpose for their existence. See, I don't know how you react to that, but I'll tell you it makes me a little uncomfortable. It's unpredictable, uncontrollable, unmanageable, confrontational. And maybe I find it threatening because I kind of like my comfortable life. I like most things the way they are. And I'm worried Jesus might come and <laughs> cleanse my temple. And then we come to this verse 15. When the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. So amazing. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, right? The leaders of the synagogue see Jesus doing wonderful things, healing sick people, 
hearing children shouting praises to God. And they were indignant. They were mad. Their own ideas about how things were supposed to happen so get in the way. They see Jesus doing wonderful things and they reject all the good that's going on. It upsets them to see people healed. It upsets them to hear children shouting praise. So what does all this mean for us? There was a soap manufacturer and a pastor. And they were walking together down a street in this large city. And the soap manufacturer casually said, you know, the gospel you preach hasn't done much good, has it? I mean, just observe. There's still a lot of wickedness in the world. A lot of wicked people too. Well, the pastor made no reply until they passed a dirty little child and he was making mud pies in the gutter. And seizing the opportunity, the pastor said, I see the soap hasn't done much good in our world for there is still much dirt and there are still many dirty people around. And the manufacturer said, well, soap is only useful when it's applied. (laughs) And the pastor said, exactly. And so it is with the gospel. So, So let me just apply this passage in two very different ways for us this morning. First, what Jesus being a social revolutionary, what does that mean for us? And second, in what ways do our temples need to be cleansed? You see, you and I, we are social revolutionaries. On a global scale, there's no denying that we are wealthy. And yet the problems in our world are so huge, so complex, we often get paralyzed into inaction. There's a song on the radio lately and there's a line in it that says the church should look more like a hospital. I believe that. I apply that to a vision of evangelism in our own situations. But there's also this dimension in which the church as an institution needs to be part of a larger solution, a global solution. And that's happening, right? The world is changing, Biblical views are getting a hearing. Action is resulting from them. And the windows of opportunities are opening. I mean, we can find ways where we can serve in our community. But windows are also opening through our partnerships, right? With, with partners like the camp and, and the Wells and family and Kurt and Becca. But let us never be paralyzed by inaction. Maybe God never calls us to change the world like Mother Teresa did. But then again, maybe he will call you to do that. But I do believe he calls each and every one of us here to do something. The Apostle Paul wrote these words to Timothy. He said, he doesn't command us to solve all the world's problems, but to not be arrogant or put our hope in wealth, to be rich in good deeds and generous. Respond to the situations God places you with those principles. And then we will all be social revolutionaries in our circle. And we'll see where God takes it. And I know this is going to make a quick shift in the direction. But the second way I see this applying to us is where do we need Jesus to come and cleanse our temples? What walls are in your life? What things are keeping you from getting closer to God? Can can you identify them? 
Maybe write them down or just fix them in your mind. I mean, it doesn't matter at this moment where they came from or why they're there. Just, just identify what is it that is keeping you from getting closer to God. Can, can I list a few possibilities? Maybe it's sin. Sin that we entertain. <laughs> sin that we enjoy, that we welcome into our life. Maybe it's fear. Fear of what will God do to me? Or fear of what will God ask me to do? Or maybe it's past hurts. I don't know if I can trust Him again. I've been hurt so bad in the past. But whatever that may be for you, identify what it is that separates you from God. And then hear His invitation to come. Pass through those walls. Step through those barriers, walk up the stairs into the holy place, even the holy of holies, and come meet with God. Listen to Him. Talk with Him. Weep or rejoice or laugh with Him. Jesus cleared the barriers in the temple in His day so God's house could be a house of prayer for all nations. And He wants to do the same with you and me right now. And I know I'm asking a lot. And I recognize it can be difficult and uncomfortable and even risky. And maybe you need his help. He'll come to you. Come to your side if you ask him. He'll take your hand and he will lead you and guide you and give you strength. Ephesians 2.13 says, In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. He's destroyed the dividing wall of hostility and reconciled us to God. And once you get there, listen. And let God talk. You know, about two years ago, we came home from vacation and we noticed that part of our basement ceiling had fallen down. <laughs> they were these drop ceiling tiles, but they were connected and relied on the pressure of the other tiles to stay up. Well, we had a contractor come in and look at uh, how do we do it and what can we replace the ceiling with. And, and while he was there, we also got an estimate to replace the walls. They were paneling, and we decided let's do drywall. And the estimate was affordable, but what really made it affordable was us doing the demolition. So armed with hammers and crowbars, the boys and I and, and Justin Hasera for some reason joined in, and, and we demolitioned the basement. We tore down the rest of the ceiling. We tore down all the paneling. We bagged it all up. We took it out. And you know, we began the project, and I thought, man, this might be kind of fun. I love ripping things apart. I love destroying things. But after about 15 minutes of all the garbage falling on my head and the heat and the awkward protective gear, it just quickly became work. Hard work. But it needed to be done. It needed to be cleaned out in order that our basement could be restored. And now we have a nice, clean, safe basement. See, we need to let Jesus come and do the same thing for us as individuals and as a church. We need him to come and tear down any barriers that keep us from intimacy with him. Any barriers that keep others from coming to know him. We need him to come and cleanse us and make us whole and fill us with his power. Then 
we can respond like the little children in Matthew 21. Hosanna to the Son of David. So is that what you need today? Is that what you desire? If it is, come. Come after service and talk to me. Stop by the church this week and visit with me. Well, let's tear down any barriers, remove any distractions that keep us from worshiping our Savior, Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this moment in the life of Jesus. We thank you for showing us what true worship is, is really all about. It's not about the building. It's not about anything we make of it. Worship is all about you. It's about offering you our best. So Lord, I pray you cleanse our hearts and make us pure that our worship may be true. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.